I learned so much, you know, I, I sort of really threw myself into the uh, the history of which London, you know, some of these routes were routes that were, you know, put on the map by monks and, uh, you know, wonderful kind of religious history and battles. You know, in those in that early period, Ed, you know, I, I found so many of them um, in or very close to London. Hello, and welcome to Series 1, Episode 3 of Outlandish. I'm your host, Ed Scott, and I'm delighted to be joined this week by a true legend of the London ultra-running scene, David Bone. One half of the ultra-coaching power couple turned race-directing duo Daz and Bone, David has spent the last few years working alongside his business partner Darren Strachan to put together Camino Ultra, a one-of-a-kind event company organising ultramarathon races right in the beating heart of the UK's great metropolis, London. Camino have quickly risen through the ranks to become one of those must-race organisations thanks to their focus on friendly, inclusive races that celebrate the back of the pack just as much as the front runners, and which showcase some of London's many hidden green spaces. Just like Camino's events, David himself is incredibly warm and friendly, but he's definitely no pushover, having completed a number of truly epic ultramarathons himself, including that most hallowed of events, the Spartathlon, a 153-mile or 246-kilometer road race from Athens to Sparta, based on the original legendary run of Pheidippides before the Battle of Marathon, from which we get the name of the modern marathon race. I wanted to talk to David about our shared passion for London's unsung greenery. Whilst there are no windswept mountaintops or barren moors to gaze out upon in this city, there's more to running in London than endless loops of your local park, and when it comes to trail running, nobody is more of a champion for our capital's green spaces than David. This podcast was recorded remotely in May 2022. Just a word of warning, we did experience some technical issues during the recording process, largely attributable to my terrible Wi-Fi. I've done my best to edit over the gaps, but the first half of this conversation was, in true London fashion, affected by severe delays. As always, do stick around to the end of the episode where there is a preview of next week's episode and a bonus clip from this talk. And now, David Bone. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, I want to take our listeners back a couple of years. I um, lived overseas from the end of 2018 until literally a couple of days before the first lockdown in 2020. And one of the many things that really struck me in those first couple of months being back was that suddenly everywhere I looked on the London trail running scene, there was Camino Ultra everywhere. Um, So I'd love to sort of I'd love you to sort of walk our listeners through the story of Camino. And I think a really good place to start would just be sort of um, with your co-director and your fellow ultra running coach, Darren Strachan. So how did the two of you first meet? So, uh, yes, yeah, so many things are kind of intertwined with uh, with Daz, Mr. Strachan. Um, we we actually met in a, in a work capacity, Ed, so o- over 25 years ago. I was working for a company called Diageo, sort of a large drinks company here in London, and Darren was working for a small IT development company. And his uh, his company 
came on board to to do a project with us and uh, we sat next to each other and we bonded over a love of the white stripes and the strokes <laughs> which was obviously a very big thing at the time and uh, not so much running actually Ed in the, in those early days but um, yeah we became very uh, close friends actually our, our running really kind of took off when um, we started to do some fundraising for uh, a, a really close friend of ours whose uh, daughter uh, has a condition called hemiplegia, which is where at, at birth you you kind of have like stroke-like effects either on the left or the right-hand side of your body. And it can be uh, either mild or, or kind of very severe if it's sort of brain-affected. And we started an association with the charity that, that was supporting people with hemiplegia. And I don't know if you remember, Ed, but back in the day, you know, uh, when people first started, uh, you know, charity fundraising, you you had to raise quite a lot of money to do like the big city marathons, it, somewhere like £1,500 or £2,000 uh, fee, you know, before you started making some good impact with the charity. So it, it was really at the point where we'd done a few like Brighton Marathon, London Marathon, Manchester Marathon with uh, the charity and we realised we needed to do something else to kind of capture people's imagination and try and set some big fundraising targets and um, so the charity said to us oh well we can get you London Marathon places and Brighton Marathon places and they're one week apart you know why don't you do both marathons and then um, our friend Jamie suggested, well, if we're going to do that, how about in the middle of the week, we get the train down to Brighton and we run from Brighton to London. Wow. Effectively doing kind of four marathons <clears throat> in eight days. And, um, you know, and and that's for, for your listeners. Uh, there's some wonderful kind of history about the running of London to Brighton. It, it is kind of recognised as one of the kind of oldest recognized uh ultra marathon running routes you know throughout history and so i think something kind of unlocked itself for myself and darren in doing that specific run that day that uh brighton to london you know we were really kind of taken by um well the the enormity of it it wasn't our finest moment you know it, it did take uh all day we did eat some truly atrocious <laughs> non-nutritional food you know all of the things that we've kind of learned over the years to to be better at uh we got it all wrong on that day but uh yeah it certainly did capture people's imaginations we raised a lot of money and um yeah future years after that we were then looking for something else you know and and so after doing a 60 miler we did the Cotswolds 100 uh, miler uh, as a challenge. And then we did a 24 hour nonstop run together. And it was around that time, Ed, that we started to learn a bit more about uh, a race called the Spartathlon, yeah. which became a huge, huge thing uh, from both myself and Darren, both the 
complexity of trying to um, get into that race via via the ballot process and then having our name in the ballot and, and we didn't get in for the first couple of years um, and it was sort of around that time in 2015 2016 when the uh, sort of seed of uh, Camino first uh, you know and all of those many miles and hours of training runs Ed um, you know we just started to sort of formulate some ideas uh, initially around coaching about kind of sharing with uh, other people that uh, you know how you move into ultra marathons and how you look at perhaps doing something with a uh, you know more endurance and kind of more complexity to some of the simple racing and after a couple of years of uh, coaching we realized that you know a lot of the people we were coaching were doing some quite hefty travel in order to do ultra marathons you know there was quite a heavy footprint as we all know Ed you know people sort of flying or heading off to Scotland and Wales so yeah we just uh, thought well hang on you know there's a lot of people in in London we've been doing a lot of these uh, FKT routes where where we first met Ed and um yeah we just decided to you know start with our own 50k ultra marathons well you've got quite a full calendar of events now for people who who don't know you've got the Lee Valley 50 kilometers which is in June which runs from Welling Garden City to yeah. Hackney you've also got the Epping Forest 50 kilometers which is in October um they have a really unique quality to them in that you're not asking people as you said you're not asking them to travel far to head out into the hills or into the countryside you're kind of celebrating the green spaces that are in or very close to London itself is that quite important to you that your events are sort of London centric yeah it's absolutely huge for us I think um I mean one one of the most uh kind of core values to to us is that you know we're very much the sort of family uh centric pair of boys myself and Daz and and we sort of want to carry that um life balance element into it so you know it's the sort of least obtrusive way of uh putting on events and and getting families involved when we can kind of do them uh in our own backyard plus also the sort of celebration of um the kind of the quality edge of the the train that we do have on our doorstep you know i think again you know you see it, a lot of it on social media this idea that you need to leave london or the big cities uh in order to find green space and trails and um especially through the kind of the greenways challenge we've like we've you know sought to uh to challenge that itself you know and and I think once you start to get an idea of um you know the 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 kind of way marked trails and paths there are in London you, you can actually do those um in short versions and then start to build up a picture of how you could kind of join them to de- together to uh make kind of longer uh, you know slightly longer versions <laughs> I, I was chatting Ed to to a mutual friend um Danny Easton who does uh, other podcasts and he was uh, prophesizing that it was a sort of a gateway drug. You know, you kind of get people on kind of 5K, 10K trails and before they know it, uh, they'd be doing the London Loop. 
there's this kind of balancing act that event directors have to walk between you know on the one hand making an event challenging which is important to some people but on the other hand kind of making it fun and accessible where do you kind of see Camino's events sort of on that spectrum yeah I mean I I think it's a fantastic question I mean you know someone who uh, very much loves the full spectrum uh, uh, of the ultra marathon world I mean Camino is definitely the um, entry point um, ultra marathon race companies so you know we're targeting ourselves at people who are perhaps much more comfortable and familiar with 10k half marathons up to marathons and are curious about um, maybe repositioning their relationship with running I mean Ed you're probably very familiar with the phrase um, you know when someone completes a marathon uh, somebody will ask, well, what was your time? Yeah. And when someone completes an ultramarathon, they go, oh, great, you know, did you finish? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's a very much, uh, you know, it's a different mindset, which we we absolutely cherish. So, so yeah, we all of our ultramarathons are 50 kilometres in length. And we have, we believe, a sort of very generous um, cut-off for each of the events so it, it's nine hours ed so although we're not specifically targeting ourselves at at walkers uh it is very possible to complete any of our events with a sort of healthy run walk strategy in terms of the day you, you've got two other events that are really quite different um can you sort of talk us through First of all, the the center of the universe race. Well, how does that work? What's the premise for that? Yeah, exactly. So, um, as you know well, Ed, you know that uh, that period that we all went through with the pandemic, yeah, really threw up a lot of um, uh, challenges for for myself and for Darren when we were looking at you know what Camino could do in that space, and so. We'd been working for quite some time with uh, our friend um, Chris Mills, uh, who's got a company called Race Director, and they were starting to use um, trackers uh, much more I- in bigger ultra marathons. So this is the you know the ability to kind of fix uh, a tracker to your to your race vest yeah. or your backpack turn it on and then the race director can you know keep a, a close eye on uh, where that person is you know where they're traveling to and there's there's like an emergency feature on there you know if someone kind of gets uh, lost or in distress so yeah for ourselves Ed we were thinking okay well this is this is an idea you know one of the big challenges for for running itself in the pandemic were the rules around how many people could actually be together yeah so we thought okay well let's have this idea where we've got this 50k uh, distance but we actually set people off to start the event uh, in unique places and then they all head towards us so we kind of had this uh, this idea of uh, using some 
some technology to kind of map out uh, a sort of a radius outside of London. And then we put inside of the rules that, that anybody that signed up had to look for a sort of starting point that was outside of that radius. Mm-hmm. And we'd kind of worked out that pretty much any um, sort of trail route from outside of that radius to to the finish, which is where we're based in uh, in Hackney in East London, would be kind of 50k there or thereabouts. Right. So, you know, we, we've had people sort of starting in... Um, Kent along the Thames, out in in Essex, in Romford, Dagenham, and all all the way around, basically the outside the M25, and finding their own unique ways to kind of uh, head into London, and, and and when we did it the first time, Ed, you know, also because again, you know, we're talking about people taking on their first ever ultra marathon. Yeah, we we had some people finishing. Uh, in three and a half hours, and some people finishing in nine hours. So again, we, that, the first year we, ho- we we hosted that race, you know, we had um, we were able to manage uh, all of the entrants so that you know they were they were finishing at different times, and therefore there wasn't a big uh, congregation, you know, of of concern around the kind of the pandemic ruling. Now that all that's gone. We know we've been able to kind of look for more interesting ways to um, create this as a team version. So we've had in in this year, we had a lot more people that signed up uh, to do it. You know, a bunch of friends, you know, who might live in Surrey or Hertfordshire, meeting up the night before and then all starting together at 8am heading into London. Amazing. Is there a sort of trend of, of where people choose to start, I guess? starting somewhere in Essex would make sense right because it's kind of quite flat um, and I guess you avoid having to run through all of London if you if you come that way into Hackney I think this has been the real fascinating thing both about the event and uh, the kind of the explosion of of trail running I would say Ed you know there's a lot more curiosity out there in terms of what you and I might recognize as being a kind of more traditional route so yeah. you know that like the lee valley as you've mentioned already goes uh from welling to hartford and then it comes round and it pretty much follows the lee valley canal uh you know in a, in a very easy to follow route all the way back into uh to london yeah but um, actually, when you st- when you get the maps out, you'll realise that there's a couple of other uh, l- less well known trail routes that 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 sort of follow, some, you know, a similar yeah. uh, part of London. But you know, there's one called the Stour Path. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, That's sort and of south like I said, into Kent, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah, that, you know, we've had people that have. Um, come up with stuff that we didn't even know about, which is fantastic. And then you know, when when people, uh, you know, see where other people uh, have have chosen to run, you know, it obviously puts a seed in their mind as to something that they might go off and um, check out for themselves at a later date. Absolutely, yeah. You're speaking my language. A provisional <laughs> title for this podcast 
when I was coming up with it was was edgelanders because I'm just super passionate about those quote unquote edgeland terrains those those places where the city and the country kind of merge together the Stour Valley path is a great example of that particularly as you're coming in towards the river it's just it's another world we we uh, recently been doing uh another route called the roading valley ed and uh it it's um it's a a river that you know lot you know in some areas has disappeared but it it effectively kind of goes uh, on the east side of london north to south and it and it actually sort of goes into to the river thames and um one of the things that i absolutely cherish about it is that for about five miles of the route because it's about 15 miles in total um it's pretty much underneath the kind of north circular and Mm. when you're actually on the trail it's so lush you know, there's so much, uh, you know, wonderful kind of the vegetation in, in the green and, you know, you can really switch off. But actually, all of the times that I'm driving on that road, I have the obviously the opposite effect where I go, actually, I know that just beneath here is like an oasis of trail running, you know. So it kind of gives me that that that, oh, that wow. sort of opposite feeling. But, yeah, that's, that's you know, when we started to introduce that to... Um, to friends and local runners no one seemed to to know much about it but uh yeah it's it's quite a special route yeah i'll have to um i'll have to check that out and then you've got the london uh greenways challenge uh, so this is um a very different kind of event this is a year-long event for 2022 and it consists of a series of 12 routes that participants can run whenever they want though you're releasing them um sort of once a month is that right Exactly. Um, when we when we first came up uh, with, with the idea, um, Ed, it was um, again. It was sort of very much to share that you know it didn't really matter in which kind of corner of London you're in. There were these kind of unique sets of um, trails that that already exist. You know, for for the most part, Ed's there they're very well signposted you know they're reasonably well maintained by by the various sort of uh local councils and then when you start to kind of familiarize yourself with them you can kind of realize that oh actually you know so for example one of the ones we've um already had is called the dollis valley which Mm -hmm. kind of goes from um north west london and through some absolutely fantastic uh, like woodland and sort of remote areas and then it as it gets closer to london it, it sort of ends at the um bot at the top sorry of hampstead heath mm. and you know when you're in hampstead heath you sort of realize that you're actually on a couple of other trail areas and we both know how wonderful hampstead heath is to sort of run in so you know I really love that idea that, you know, after after a period of time, people might be able to think, OK, well, I could perhaps join one trail up uh, with another and, yeah. and to go back to the centre of the universe. And maybe they start to realise that there are ways that you can kind of create this wonderful flow in and out of London, uh, primarily through um, parks and, and forests and trails. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a twelve 
it's it, you can do it either as a 12 route challenge um, or you can do them individually ed so what we do is we we kind of create a, a kind of you call it like a virtual pack and in that virtual pack it's got all of the information that you would need to be able to help you find you know how you get to the start you know how you best use public transport uh, importantly where you'll find uh, a good coffee shop you know get a nice coffee in before you run uh, where there may be some helpful um, facilities toilets etc um, and a, a gpx that you could potentially use on your phone or maybe if you've kind of got um, a sports watch and then yeah once you've completed uh, the run uh, any time then there's a on our website there's a sort of veric verification um, uh, form so you can put in there you know how you felt uh, the run was you know what was good and obviously uh, a lot of the feedback we've received through the form we've been able to take uh, uh, and add it back into the virtual pack so obviously people that are doing it um, more recently are benefiting from some kind of wonderful insight from other runners and uh, yeah everyone that finishes um, gets uh, a, a nice kind of recyclable uh, medal from the guys from Zero Waste Nice. and uh, each one Ed is a puzzle piece so if you do all 12 they fit together uh, nicely as a 12 piece puzzle that's awesome um you you mentioned that covid saw this sort of rise in in virtual events like this um are you sort of finding that things now that things are more or less sort of back to normal for mass participation events are you finding there's still a desire for these kind of virtual events it's um it's, it's a really great question i so two two things sort of happened ed one is um you know as i sort of mentioned before i you know i think globally there there's a huge explosion in not only running but kind of endurance in all its forms you know you're see, seeing people on wonderfully long cycle rides or epic yeah. swims or combining uh you know multi-sports and um that that of course that's absolutely fabulous but you know there, there's a sort of there's a lot of companies now out there all in that same space and I think uh, once the sort of the virtual, you know, once you're able to go back to to real events, uh, there's a there's a, there's a lot of choice out there. But it also means that you know some are becoming quite successful and some are are kind of struggling um, to to stay afloat actually. And a lot of smaller companies have already uh, bitten the dust, which mm. is which has been a real shame. So. The whole the whole scene probably needs to find its sort of position again. And I said I think for for Camino, the best thing that we can do is to sort of stay true to our roots and uh, you know yeah. keep it uh, entry level and keep it local. Uh, and yeah, it, it works for us. Yeah, well, it's it's an awesome idea, and I, I definitely need to sign up and, and try some of them out myself. We'd um, love to see you, Ed. Absolutely. Um, Talking of COVID, which you brought up, you know, one of the things, as I said, that I really recall about those early months of lockdown 
um, was sort of seeing Camino everywhere and seeing yourselves everywhere. And I think that's got a lot to do with just the sheer number of FKTs that you were setting, um, which I'd love to discuss. I encourage anyone listening to head to fastestknowntime.com and look up David's records. Um, I didn't count them because there's literally too many. It must be over 100, right? Or close to it. It is uh, 108, I think, Ed. Oh, my goodness. Because there was that huge wave of FKTs, um, particularly that first year of COVID, you know, and it looks like at times you were sort of running um, one a week, Obviously, that was a kind of dark period of history in many ways, and but there were sort of silver linings associated with associated with it in terms of, you know, people considering what was important to them and going on these sort of more explorative solo adventures. Is that a time that you look back on fondly in some ways? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. No. I. Uh, yeah. I, I will definitely cherish um, you know that side of it, Ed. Uh, yeah. forever because yeah it, w- it was a very unique time wasn't it I mean I, I know f- I know for lots of people and sort of friends of mine you know I, it, it it was very tough you know so um, I, I was I, I did I did often find it difficult and obviously anything that was kind of appearing on Strava or yeah being broadcast about it it wasn't it wasn't that side of it that I particularly liked what <laughs> As, as you know, I mean, one of the challenges in, in the COVID period was, um, you know, if you lived in a city like London, yeah. was that if you went, you know, uh, to your local kind of coffee shop, you know, you could be stood in a queue of 30 people to get your coffee. Whereas, you know, if you, uh, you know, got in your car and you went somewhere remote to run a trail, you know, yeah. <laughs> some people didn't like it. Yeah. I, I I understood, but you know I felt personally a lot more comfortable being on my own, running a FKT route uh, in the middle of nowhere than I did being somebody else that was you know uh, in large groups of people in in that particular period. So yeah, yeah. it became a real um, real kind of discovery of kind of uh, solace, you know, sort of the that that sort of championing of. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I learned so much, you know. I, I sort of really threw myself into the uh, the history, yeah. Of which London, you know, some of these uh, routes were, you know, um, routes that were you know put on the map by monks, <laughs> and uh, you know, wonderful kind of religious history and battles, and yeah, I mean. You know, in those in that early period, Ed. You know, I I found so many of them um, in or very close to London. Yeah. Uh, many of them were, you know, very accessible in terms of distance. You know, a, a lot of those that you'll find on that website are, say, um, eight ten kilometers to ten miles. You know, yeah. I think the history of the fastest known time initially was about the really epic routes that exist and in London we have the uh, Capital Ring which is probably like one of the Blue Ribbon events and obviously around the UK we have the Land's End to John O'Groats and yeah. famous routes like uh, you know like uh, the Pennine Way and the Cotswolds but yeah I, I loved finding out about the, the Chess Valley which is another one in your neck of the woods mm-hmm. and uh, 
yeah, there's quite a lot that exist. Um, old railway routes up in uh, the Nicky line. Yeah. Uh, ones around St Albans and Hertfordshire. And there's a lot actually um, in that Kent area we already mentioned, uh, just sort of the other side of the M25. So, uh, yeah, it was a real, a real joy, joyful period, actually. And Ed and yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing far less for lots of different reasons recently. But uh, yeah, I'll always look back fondly. Well, it's obviously <laughs> FKTs are obviously something you still enjoy. It's May now when we're recording this and you've got seven FKTs to your name in 2022 so far. Um, there's one in particular from years ago that I uh, is really close to my heart and it's the London Loop. Um, for listeners who don't know, the Loop in London Loop stands for London Outer Orbital Path. Um, this is a 150 mile trail that circumnavigates the edge of Greater London, starting in Erith in the east, just south of the river, which is an amazing landscape. And it sort of winds its way clockwise all the way back to Raynham, just across the river on the other shore. Um, you ran this in July 2020. That must have been quite the experience to run. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, again, it was, um, you know how we we were in lockdown, then out of lockdown, (laughs) in lockdown again. So I had um, been doing a virtual challenge. There's a a great company called End to End, uh, who do a lot of these great um, virtual events, which are good for, for companies and charity fundraising and the first one they ever did was a virtual run from uh, Land's End to John O'Groats so so basically you had um, uh, you know 850 miles to cover Mm -hmm. uh, locally and you know you would see yourself progressing up this kind of virtual map and um, I I found myself uh, in a bit of a tussle (laughs) with a couple of other people (laughs) to, to oh, try right. and be the first person to complete the uh this virtual uh event and so it got me thinking um ed that you know as as i wasn't winning <laughs> i needed <laughs> to up the stakes a little bit and actually yeah. try and get some big miles in quickly so having done some of those uh shorter distance uh, fkts that i mentioned i decided to do my homework and look to see if there was sort of a hundred plus mile one I could do, you know, within in a sort of few weeks uh, after the investigation. And uh, yeah, I I found the London Loop. It, it was something that I'd never heard of before. What I was totally amazed about, um, Ed, is that, you know, if anybody goes to uh, look for the London Loop online, you will see that it's perfectly split into 13 sections mm-hmm. and it's uh, on the on the website which is fabulously maintained by by you know London uh, i think it's on the transport for london website you know it gives you really great information as to how you could maybe do one of the sections as a day trip you know how you get yeah. out of london and how you would get onto the route um so yeah, so uh, you know all all of the information uh, was there. It sort of had these thirteen sections. So what, what I did, Ed, was I 
I put out a uh, a request on a, on a few social challenge channels to you know to uh, ultra runners to say you know would it, would anybody be keen to uh, come and run a few legs with me and uh, yeah the response was absolutely incredible you know I really was I uh, still am totally blown away by how many people got in touch I mean yeah. uh, and not only wanting to do it but also recognised uh, some of the complexities of um, you know when I would actually be at that section um, yes. you know because obviously the nighttime uh, stages were you know required a bit more um, sort of care and attention in terms of the yeah. kind of crew I was going to say I mean you know part of the reason I bring it up is it's a trail that's very close to my heart again not a trail that's very well known but I think yeah. for Londoners I, th- I really think it should be I think it should be a national trail or something because it's just an awesome way to explore the city um I grew up as I mentioned sort of right on the London border in Hertfordshire and when I first got into running you know as is so often the case I found all these new places right on my childhood doorstep that I just never knew yeah. existed and one of these was Harrow Wheel Common which the London Loop sort of passes straight through um Although thinking about it now, I guess that was kind of the middle of the night for you, right? Around mile 80 or thereabouts? Maybe it was evening? It was, it was absolutely plumb in the middle of the night. Right. And an extraordinary thing happened um, at that exact place. So I, I, was, actually, I was actually running with Alison again uh, and my really dear friend, Stephen. And... Um, at, we you know pitch black and suddenly this voice came out of nowhere and um it was a chap who was in the british army right. who had only recently moved because in, in in that part of the world that you grew up in there are well there were and there still are some you know um some some army bases yes there's some, a sort of raf um complex exactly well. yeah and uh yeah this this chap had seen um you know one of the requests that I'd put out there and and had been tracking us on the live tracker and uh, said you know you know did we mind uh, if he did um you know a few miles with us and thankfully for us that that was actually quite a because tr- there's a sort of series of like woodland yeah, it's very difficult area. to navigate in places. Oh, it was impossible. So we we just took a back seat and let this guy uh, with his with his you know he had a handheld torch. Oh, wow. I think he had a, a like a bag of bag of Mentos or maybe Werther's original, which was great. <laughs> and um, you know we took our time and and he guided us through the woods. You know, and and that actually happened about two or three times uh, throughout that entire. Uh, London Loop trip that you know local yeah. people would come out just at magical times and mm. you know knew the area extremely well you know we 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 didn't and uh, yeah it was a, a joy to be kind of guided yeah by locals on those different sections when, when we got uh, I have to say for for listeners like that entire route is is magical like any section's great except (laughs) there's a section right near the end in Essex where it started to go completely off grid and go through an area of farmland 
where clearly they didn't want you to be on oh, wow. and we got chased off uh, off this farm by this very angry farmer and when we got when we got to the edge of his farm we could see that the london uh, loop sign had been like hacked off oh my goodness <laughs> the and, and like almost half buried wow <laughs> but other than that <laughs> What a way, that's a very London way to f- to finish, right? To be yelled at exactly. by a stranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Brilliant. I have, yeah. My partner and I have been have been walking it, and I've been running it in sections, and I th- I've only got as far as sort of Croydon Way. But I'm really looking forward to that that's return to the east because the the landscape there, that kind of flat landscape, is is really awesome. You've already mentioned, haven't you? The uh, the actual start is beautiful. The bit round Erith. And oh, it's incredible. That part of uh, the wildness of the Thames and you can see uh you know you see the M25 and the, the Dartford Crossing and the bridge yeah. the Dartford Crossing of course and yeah all of that all of that section uh, my my family are from from the Croydon uh, old Causton area and oh, right. uh I I had a phone call actually the night before I started from my from my dad and he was you know, retelling me some some wonderful stories of you know where he grew up and mm. playing playing in these um, areas that were basically created by German bombs. You know, these great big craters. And uh, I was saying to him, "Oh, this is amazing! Like when I get to that section uh, of the loop, you know, I, I might take a little detour and see if I can see." Yeah. But when we got there, I, I just had absolutely no any you know, idea that I was anywhere near sort of Croydon, you know, you just, you're so well protected and covered on this route, yeah. you know, you do really feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and, and not near the city. And that is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Well, I think in a way you've, you've, you've cut to the core of it there. It's, it's the, the route passes through this, this, this no man's land between London proper and the countryside proper. And it never quite commits yeah. to either of them, but in doing that, it feels like you're discovering a whole sort of hidden corridor of of amazing places that that yeah are really undercelebrated. Um, it's an epic trail, you know. It's 150 miles long. In classic fashion, you've pointed to all the people who helped you do it, and you haven't talked about how incredible it is that you ran 150 miles. Um, your record of I believe 34 hours and 23 minutes remains uncontested any plans to um to revisit that someday maybe run it counterclockwise so tantalizingly um ed there is another similar distance which is um sort of the closest that you can follow the m25 with actually not actually being on the m25 so um that's quite tempting as also is um a record that's held by a wonderful chap called uh, Richard McCheesney. I don't know if you know Richard. He'd be a great guest for your podcast. So he, great surname. He's one of the world's best uh, fast walkers, and he holds the record for travelling to all of the London tube stops uh, oh in one goodness. go, wow. uh, without a break on foot. Wow. So this is, and obviously some of the, you know, you have, it's very intricate in itself to try and map out, you know, how you don't sort of double back on yourself and stay to the stick rules. And I think the record is uh, five days. I think there's something like 
Well, they're, 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 I guess I guess the challenge now, Ed, is that they're just opening up a new line, aren't they? Oh, with the yeah. Elizabeth Better get, line. Better get it in now. <laughs> but I was thinking about having a crack at that in the summer, actually. Yeah, that would be... Wow, that would be incredible. I'm just thinking about um, John Kelly, who's out on the Wainwrights at the moment. That's that is amazing, a very London isn't it? Version, a very London version of the Wainwrights. Yeah, we have Every to come Tuesday. up with another smog Graham-type <laughs> name, won't we? Yeah, <laughs> our, our own Wainwright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a great book as a... I can't remember. I've got it on my shelf somewhere. There's a guy who walked the M25, and I think he did it sort of on the sort of grass verge. Okay. Um, which is very much, I think, not allowed, and yeah. it wouldn't probably be very fun but he's written an amazing book about it i'll send you a send you a title for it i can't remember it right now i'd love to read that there's also another thing that i uh, absolutely love which is this um right to rome explosion yeah. that's taking place at the moment and uh yeah this whole idea about trespass and you know where we're, we're allowed to go and not allowed to go and obviously personally be you know believe it's uh it's a crime the amount of you know mm. the lack of access that we yeah. have and especially you know obviously the, the the different rules in in england say to scotland where you know you're not even allowed to kind of respectfully wild camp yeah. like, like you can there so i i think with with what's going on in that space ed and those trends again hopefully that is going to be exciting in terms of um you know unlocking some of the gems that may exist out there that will be able to kind of connect us as you've already pointed out between the city and all of the epic landscape that exists just outside of the city yeah or even just alongside us you know you glimpse places from the train window sometimes Mm. and you you wonder you know is that a place you can go or is that just someone's land that they've they've sealed off it's funny there's a strange dichotomy between you know trail running we're running on trails trails are lines of dirt and so having a very narrow corridor through which you're allowed to move is quite conducive to trail running because all you need is that narrow corridor but when you actually think about it a route like the london loop i mean how much of that route passes straight between land that either side of you you're not allowed to even step on it's exactly yeah yeah it's food for thought tantalizing isn't it (laughs) yeah um david i just want to thank you so much for giving me uh, your time. It's been a real pleasure to reconnect and to chat with you. Um, I just have one more question, which is a question I'm trying to ask everyone on this podcast. Um, you've run in some amazing places around the world uh, and you've explored probably more of London in terms of its green spaces than just about anyone I can think of. I was thinking earlier, I'd love to see your Strava heat map. I bet it's absolutely plastered. Um, is there sort of one route or location that you could sort of point to if someone were to ask you, what's your favorite place to run? Well, that is a wonderful question, isn't it? I mean, I guess I guess the, uh, the one of the challenges is that... Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I personally, Ed, have lived um, next to, you know, one of our major parks, uh, Victoria Park, you know, for a, a, a huge part of my my running life and my adult running life. And and I guess um, myself and, you know, I'm a member of the local running club, you know, the, there's, there's the most glorious love-hate yeah. <laughs> relationship when you've got something so beautiful and precious 
uh, on, on your doorstep, but it is somewhere that I, I, you know, it's a real, you know, it's a place that I love to run, but I, I guess, you know, I've done many, a, many a loop okay. <laughs> around that park. And so, you know, there's nothing more pleasurable than kind of getting outside of, uh, this area and, and going uh, somewhere different. I've had this, um, route, uh, planned idea so there's actually a route called the the games way right that was created to kind of commemorate the uh, 2012 olympics and it goes from where effectively i live the kind of the olympics park stadium and it goes all the way down to the south coast where the um sailing took place in weymouth oh wow and it actually connects three of like the most iconic um south uk uh trails so i think it's 135 miles um but i don't think anyone's ever done it yeah so, i have to say um, i've never heard of it and it sounds like a amazing route yeah so i think it would be again i think it would be a real wonderful thing to kind of maybe do it with a bit of kind of community spirit yeah and put it out there and and, and get a group of us together and maybe maybe fast pack it, you know, take some uh, sleeping. Oh, yeah. Take some bivvy. Yep. Uh, sit under the stars. Baked uh, beans. Brew up a nice coffee. Take some baked beans. <laughs> fueled, fueled by baked beans. Find some in. mushrooms. You could I, find us some mushrooms. <laughs> we could go We could go on the, like an SKT foraging yeah. uh, route. I, so, yeah, in a couple of months' time, Ed, let's, uh, let's find the summer sun and let's do it yeah, yeah absolutely I, I bought myself a fast packing bag in january so i've got no excuse let's do it awesome well thanks so much david thank you ed it's been a real pleasure buddy what a guy david bone such a pleasure to talk to him and get to know some of the story of camino ultra i actually ended up jumping into the lee valley 50k myself back in june and I was so glad I did. The route ran through the literal backwaters of suburbia. It was stunning, scenic, and heading into the heart of Hackney was just a really different, unique way uh, to finish an ultramarathon. Just like he always is, David was super positive and supportive on the day, despite having just completed the South Downs Way 100 himself the previous weekend. He and Darren are all about community and putting on great welcoming events and it really showed there were so many people completing their first ultra marathon and the atmosphere was just super positive and fun if you want to find out more you can find camino on instagram at camino underscore ultra or you can head to CaminoUltra.com. next week i'm super excited to bring you a chat i had with richard mcdowell aka the turbo ferret Richard is a blisteringly fast roadrunner who in recent years has made a bit of a name for himself in the trail running scene, not least by running the fastest ever trail 100 miler on British soil. I had a chat with Robbie Britton actually, and he was saying, well, it's not about your aerobic limit. It's not that physical part, not like lactate threshold. That's, that's totally relevant. It's mm. keeping running at a rate where you can keep digesting, keep your GI system on track. So the idea was to run slowly enough so I could keep my stomach online. That's next week. Hope to see you there. But otherwise, that's me, Ed Scott, signing out. And I hope you enjoy this bonus clip from my chat with the lovely David Bone, in which you'll get a peep behind the curtain into the perils of recording remotely and find out a bit more about the unusual context in which David and I first met. 
for lots of different reasons recently. But uh, yeah, I'll always look back fondly. <laughs> I apologise. The phone is ringing. Just give me one sec. All right, back in the room. Sorry, it's like Piccadilly Circus. Here. Um, yeah, so Ed, I, I was... Ed, we uh, so you, so you and I, we actually met on on a fastest known time, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. The Smog Graham. Yeah. The Smog Graham. I mean, that in itself. It doesn't is... get more epic in, Lon- <laughs> in terms get... in London FKT terms. It does not get more epic than that. So that was uh, our friend Alison Alison Walker. Yeah, Who's... I'm hoping to have Alison on to talk about that, actually. So oh. fingers crossed there'll be an episode. It's a stunning, absolutely yeah. stunning achievement. And it was amazing, just an amazing thing to be a very small part of, just to yeah. feel like you were really out there with it. Again, so if, if uh, any of your listeners are perhaps not familiar, there there are, especially in the UK, there are kind of several routes um, that, are in existence which are kind of cherished as being some of the toughest um fell uh, and trail routes uh, and one's called the bob graham round which is a kind of a 60 mile route in the lake district where you have to do some of the toughest climbs um all inside of a a 24-hour period and then um i think it was uh one of the editors of runner's world Rick, yeah, that's right. That decided to come up with a London version, and rather than Bob, called it Smog. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so it hits the this. highest point in every every London borough, of which there are thirty two. I think yeah. it's on the order of a sort of one hundred eighty miles long. I might be wrong on that. Um, uh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's one hundred eighty miles. Yeah, and amazingly, and a testament to the green spaces that you've talked about, it's about fifty percent off road, which. For a city like London, you would not necessarily assume that that was possible, but um, it really takes advantage of, particularly in the outer boroughs, all the green spaces that are available. And there was this was Alison Walker, um, for listeners who don't know, who set that record, which, um, I mean, no one had ever done it before, so it was a guaranteed FKT, and I'd be surprised if anyone tries it again because it was a brutal run. Yeah. No, but as you said, it really does... Uh, for, again, if any of your listeners go to the fastestknowntime.com website or you know you you can go and have a look at these routes and you know even if you decide to do a a, a relatively small um chunk of of the the small graham round you know you'll probably find some wonderful new routes and new trails Absolutely. um yeah it's a pretty pretty wonderful route 